Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Welcome in, everyone, to another edition of Red Sox Beat. This is episode number two. Yes, I said it, two. They allowed us to come back. We were good enough, apparently, that we were allowed to record another podcast for you. Red Sox Beat, my name is Jared Scali, along with Nathan Rollins. CLNSRadio.com brings you all the best stuff possible. Had a good week last week leading up to this week. Got a good amount of listeners, good amount of downloads. I hope you guys are listening again now. Before we start off, I want to just... Thank everyone for who subscribed, and I want to push out there for everyone, not just for our podcast, but for all of CLNS Radio. Go to to iTunes, go to Stitcher, search CLNS, you'll find the Red Sox beat, of course, you'll find Celtics beat, Patriots beat, all the post-game shows. We just ask you to rate, review, subscribe, get our names out there, help us spread the word, and we want want to be out there in the front of page of iTunes, top of Stitcher. I believe Celtics beat and Patriots beat are already the top of Stitcher game, and we want to be up there, too. So please help us out on that note. Share it on Facebook when we send out links, all that stuff. Help us get the word out there. Best thing you could do for us. With that being said, with the, with the pleasantries out of the way, Nate, how was your week? It was great. How about yours, Jared? Pretty good. I got a puppy. Nice. That's <laughs> yeah, me and my girlfriend got a puppy. And then minutes before I came on, she called me to tell me my dog ran away. Oh, but we, they found her. That's good. So we're good. <laughs> they found her. Thank God. Um, but yeah, so that's how my week's going. I enjoy the little puppy. Her name's Emmy. We rescued her, but not to get off sidetrack. We can jump right into baseball talk here. First, I want to recap the Sox week a little bit here, something we want to start to do more of now and, of course, next season once we come back full swing for 2015. But kind of a back-and-forth week for the Sox. Got swept by the Orioles. No surprise there. Their playoff team have some potential going into the playoffs, about to make a run. But they go to Kansas City and go 3-1 and one against the Royals, the team fighting for first place with the Detroit Tigers. Red Sox playing a bit of spoiler, knocking them out of first place for the moment. Red Sox look good in that, that whole series, except for that 7-1 clunker, but I like the timely inning. I like Bogarts. We'll get to him in a second. He had a great series as well. Nate, what were your impressions, not as much in the Orioles series, but what were your impressions of the Sox in the Royals series and how they did so well? 
Uh, they played excellent baseball. I mean, the pitching was there. Buckholtz had a great performance Thursday night. That was followed up by Webster Friday, pitching an absolute gem. Joe Kelly pitched well yesterday. I mean, everything was clicking. The offense was there, timely hitting. Nava, Bogarts, like you had mentioned, it was just a complete team effort. And, you know, doing it without Pedroia, which is impressive. I mean, you got guys like Betts stepping up. And as I mentioned, Nava, it was really a good, complete team effort. I was impressed. One thing I was very impressed with, especially last night, was the fact that Nava, with the stomach flu, food poisoning, comes up next day, hits a grand slam, puts the socks up 8-4. They go on to win the game. Great resiliency from Nava. I've always liked Daniel Nava. He's a great utility player. Not superstar status, of course, but great guy all around. He, he's, a, he's a great guy in person, too. He's a great, nice guy, good human being, but he's a great baseball player, good utility guy. And I'm not going to sit here and told you what, say I told you so, Nate, because I've gotten some feedback from this talk from last week, but Sox go in three out of four from a first-place team without Pedroia in the lineup. You could probably get rid of that guy, I'm just saying. Well, I'd halt the brakes there a little bit. <laughs> I mean, you got to look at who they beat there. They beat uh, Hendricks, Ventura, De La Rosa, and Vargas. Uh, not De La Rosa, excuse me. Vargas. I mean, those up. Uh, three pretty winnable games for the Red Sox, wouldn't you think? I mean, I'd actually be pretty disappointed if they did lose those games to Kansas City. I know they were in first place, but at the end of the day, it's still the Kansas City Royals. It is the Kansas City Royals. They have their history. Everyone makes fun of them usually. They are having a good year, and they will probably get in the playoffs. But I, I will give the Red Sox credit. They won their games. I will say that the Royals did play kind of crappy, and they did have their errors. And it, it was it was a rough go for... The Royals that week, except for the 7-1 well, game, of course. When they had Pedroia in Boston, they swept them three games. Are you forgetting about that? They did. You're right. That is a good point. They did sweep them three games. And that, that speaks, one, the Red Sox and the Royals match up well for the Red Sox. <laughs> and two, that does speak to the fact that the Royals, just, I, I don't know what the Royals are. You know, I've had a tough time identifying the Royals. Every time someone says the Royals are in first place, I forget about them. I, I just think the Tigers instantly. So... I do agree with you that the Red Sox probably should have won those games, but I will just say Mookie Betts had a good series. Yes, he did. Very good series. And he, play, and he played well. So I'm just I'm going to leave that there. We'll transition to another young guy who has been struggling all season. I think we all know who that's going to be. It's Xander Bogarts, the Aruban. Hasn't been doing too well, as of, obviously, since the Stephen Drew issue. Even since going back, he's been struggling to hit the ball. In this series, though, he went 6-for-17, with two home, two runs, three for four the other night, with four RBIs and a homer, he's hitting 340 in the month of September, Nate. Now, I don't know, I want to ask you the question, I'm going, to, I'm going to say what I think first, but I think this is more of the kid, I don't know about him playing under pressure, I get he hit the, he hit the ball well during the series last year, but even then, that, I put that more towards, hey, he was young, he didn't really get it. A year, a World Series playoff push experience under his belt. He was, he hasn't been playing well, and all of a sudden the lights come off of the Boston. They, everyone knows they're in last place. The young guys get to play most of the time, and now he starts going off in the month of September. For me, it's I don't know if I don't, I'm not I'm not going to put this on him yet, but there might be a sign here of can he handle Boston? What do you think, Nate? Well, you make a good point about the pressure, the lights are off, and everything like that. But you got to realize Boston is a huge huge baseball market even when the team's in dead last they they have a 
big fan base, and you're still going to get on the guy if he's if he's not hitting, even if they are 30 games out, 40 games out. The, I don't think it has to do with the pressure. I do. I have I had read something that he was working with a uh, hitting coach of the Red Sox to iron out a swing. I've noticed a few inside out hits from Bogarts this month. He's been taking the ball uh, to every part of the field when I've been watching him. I mean, he is starting to come around with the bat and the glove. The glove's starting to come around too, which I've been impressed with. Uh, we know he's got the ability and we know he's got the talent. And I just think he's starting to put it together, and I wouldn't be surprised if he continues this into the next season. I have to agree. I think I think the talent is there. We've seen glimpses of it. You're right. And I think that going into next year, obviously the Sox aren't going to give up on this guy. He's supposed to be a stud. And you can see why there's the scouts, all the beat writers who are around them constantly in the locker room and with them every day. This guy, this kid has it. He just, I think he just has to bring it consistently. And, Look, if this kid can hit 340 in September, um, if he can hit 300 consistently for a whole season, I'm can, I'm okay with that because his defense has improved, and we've seen it that he I don't know how to say it, but I guess it's just his gloves gotten a lot better. He's he he had issues ranging to the left to the middle of the field, the shortstop, and for a while, but he's getting better at that. His his agility, his quickness off reacting to a ground ball, reacting to fly balls. Even he's doing a lot better. I've noticed too of not being afraid to call off outfielders catching high fly balls in between. And that's a good thing because a lot of shortstops who succeed in this league, a lot of shortstops who succeed anywhere in baseball really are good at that. That's, that's a big thing for shortstops is to be able to control the, the infield. Because, look, they have the highest number in the infield. They have the highest priority for pop flies. They can do whatever they want realistically. And now when it comes to the outfield, obviously outfielders have priority, but good shortstops aren't afraid to come in and call and really take charge if they know they can get to those balls. Nomar Garcia-Parra did it for years here. He was quick. He was agile. Agile. Gonzalez did it for a while when he was here as well as Alex Gonzalez. So this kid has it. I think he's finally figuring it out, and I think his defense is going to almost keep him on the field until his offense really starts clicking consistently. It's obviously that now as of in September. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at you look at uh, the field um, catcher, shortstop, and center fielder. Those are the three most important positions on the infield. And I mean, if yep. you look at the good teams, they're solid at all three positions. And I mean, for the future of the Red Sox, I like it. I mean, Vasquez is a very solid defensive catcher. Um, Bogarts. As you've mentioned, he's improving with his range in the infield, calling off outfielders, which he can't be scared to do, and center field. You know, whoever it's going to be, if it's going to be Castillo, if it's going to be Bet, some sort, they look like they have a good future on those three positions, and I'm impressed. I'm excited to watch this team down the line. I have two for sure. We've got plenty of potential going next year. We talked about it a little bit in our pilot episode as well. All these plethora of young guys coming in. From the farm system, always have had a great farm system here. Sherrington has done a great job reacclimating it and re-boosting uh, it up, if I can say that way, to really have the youngest team, have one of the great cores in AAA compared to around the majors, etc. And they've done a great job with that. I think overall for Bogarts, and we'll get uh, Jerry Carabas' take on this a little bit later when I, when I play my interview with him, I caught up with him earlier. If you guys don't know who Carabas is, he's uh, editor-in-chief of Sox Space. He's now an intern, I think, at EI. But, and he also has a day job, just like the rest of us. So he's one of us. And he's good at what he does. He's a great Red Sox follow-off. If you don't know him, we'll throw out his Twitter feed, Twitter handle. You can go catch up to him. He's good. He knows what he's doing. 
well, you'll hear that interview later, but for, for Mao's sake, Bogarts, I think he's going to be fine. I think, I don't think the scouts are wrong when they say this kid's got potential, he's got the future, he's got the agility, he's good in the locker room, that's another key point to being a superstar in this league. Some aren't great in the locker room, but for the most part, a lot of players who are well-rounded and respected in this league tend to last longer because people teams want to deal with them. And if you put the talent that Bogart potentially will have in that mix, I think that he is looking at a longevity of potentially being in the Red Sox uniform for an entire career if that pans out. Either way, I'm not complaining with hitting 340 in the month of September regardless of the lights being on or not because I think hitting 340 in the month of September is just fantastic, and if you can do that next year when the Red Sox hopefully will be in contention, then you got a star born. Leave him at shortstop. No more of that Stephen Drew crap. No more bringing him backups. I get if you have a utility infielder to give him a day off, but don't. Leave Bogarts at shortstop. I think we all, we all figured this out by now. That's what we all want. That's what we all need. That's what the Red Sox need. And put him there with some pitching and some prospects, and I think Red Sox moving forward are going to do just fine next year and, of course, the rest of this season as well. Now, switching to another prospect here who we've seen as of late, and we haven't seen this in a little while from a pitching staff here. Last one, uh, last person, obviously, to throw knuckleball in the Sox rotation was the one and only Tim Wakefield. Now, Tim Wakefield was an icon here. He wasn't always the best pitcher, but when he needed to be called upon, he, he did his job. He threw his knuckleball. For some reason, people just could not hit his knuckleball, and it was great. And it was nice to have a change of pace, even when he came out of the bullpen for a couple of years. He was good for the Red Sox. He came out of the bullpen in playoffs, in the World Series in 04. He did it, and he could do it. And having that versatility is a good thing. Now, the Red Sox have Stephen Wright in AAA. Now, obviously, he's been playing up here, and we've seen him. He's 30 years old. He obviously throws a knuckleball. His, his max knuckleball speed has been registered at 78 miles per hour. Now, I'm pretty sure Wakes was in the mid-80s. I think the slower the knuckleball, the better, because it really does screw If you go to a fastball to a that slow of a knuckleball, his slowest recording knuckleball was 57 miles per hour this year in Pawtucket. Slower the knuckleball, the better for me, in my opinion. It's harder to hit. I've faced a pretty decent knuckleball hitter before, and obviously not Tim Wakefield. These guys, and I'm not throwing, throwing, trying to throw my high school experience out there and say I'm an expert, because I'm not, but I faced one pretty good knuckleballer in high school, and I couldn't hit the damn thing, and it was like a 50-mile-an-hour pitch. So I will say that slow probably will help this kid, this guy, not really a kid, 30 years old. Saturday we saw him throw three scoreless innings, only giving up three hits and two strikeouts. Last week against Toronto, he threw five scoreless innings. I think this guy has it. I think this kid, kid I'll call him a kid, he, he's, he's still a prospect. This guy gets it. He, 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 he has the mentality on the, on the field. He has the mentality on the mound, and he's got a great knuckleball, Nate. I don't know if you watched any of him pitching, but I think he could crack a rotation, if not long, reliever position next year. Yeah, I mean, he's got good stuff. I'll give you that. Uh, with all knuckleball uh, hitters facing knuckleball pitchers, they uh, get the old saying, when it's high, let it fly. When it's low, let it go. I mean, if he can keep the knuckleball down in Fenway Park, I mean, I could see him having some great success. Um, and I, I know if you're going to build the rotation around maybe some Webster, Renato, and De La Rosa, who are hard-throwing guys, having a knuckleballer in that rotation wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, it, it always helps. I mean, I'd 
obviously you can't judge him how he's going to be watching him against Toronto and Kansas City, but I mean, if I'd like to see a little bit more of him, and uh, yeah, I could definitely see him cracking a rotation. I don't like knuckleballers in the bullpen. That's not really something I've ever liked, but uh, I don't think it's fair to have a catcher switch up from a fastball pitcher to a knuckleball pitcher in the middle of a game, but I mean, if if you, he wants to crack the rotation and we got somebody who can catch for him and can catch the knuckleball, I'd let him have a spot. Definitely agree with you on the starting rotation thing. He was watching him pitching. Obviously not the same delivery as Wake. Wake had, we all know Wake. We all love Wake to death, but I think, I think this kid has a chance. And like, I think the biggest thing is what you were talking about, Nate, and you hit on it perfectly, is finding someone who can catch a knuckleball. Look, for years, Jason Veritek never really caught him. It was Doug Marabelli. Doug Marabelli could catch a knuckleball. They had to re-sign him and fly him in and run him to the stadium day of a game so he could catch Wakefield. That well, I remember that vividly because I was watching the game, and, and they had a ca- one camera showing Marabelli running into the stadium as Wakefield was warming up with Veritek, and they said, Marabelli's playing tonight because he wants to ca- they want him to catch Wakefield. Catching a knuckleball is not easy, and if you find a catcher who could do it, by all means, let him pitch because this kid's got it. I think if you can let, in the, even if you have Swihart and Vasquez as your eventual tandem, if one of them can catch a knuckleball, keep them both. If, say, next year, if David Ross can catch a knuckleball and, he crack, and say, Wright cracks the rotation, let Wright be David Ross's start. It's, there's ways around this that you can work as long as one of the two catchers can catch a stupid knuckleball. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, we know Ryan LaVarnway can't catch a knuckleball. Watched no. him last year with the four, record eye, four pass balls. So, Vasquez looks like he may be able to catch a knuckleball, and I just hope they have somebody because this kid, kid looks like he could be not the real deal, but a serviceable uh, four or five starter. I have no problem with, I mean, great, even with Wakefield, Wake was a four or five starter. Knuckleballers don't need to be racist. They're a good changeup at the end of your rotation, especially where if you say, you got to think you're going to get at least one big name for agent pitching-wise. Tom Warner came out and said he's willing to spend the money this week and all this stuff, and that they're, they're, they're planning on dipping into free agency as best they can. If you believe him, you got to think either John Lester's coming back, you're going to get James Shields, Max Scherzer, a top guy, and if that's the case, he could, you could see, I could see Stephen Wright being a four, five starter with, say, Vasquez getting that catch because he's great defensively. Or, I don't know. I see the thing is, I'd like it to be Ross's day because Ross isn't going to play that many days. But I also don't think that Ross can handle it defensively because Ross is getting old. He can't move as well. And if a knuckleball goes right, you got to be able to get in front of it. Or that's what screws most catchers over. I think Vasquez is great behind the plate defensively. His offense isn't there yet. I think we've talked about this last week, Nate. Swihart might jump him in front of him bat-wise, but I think Vasquez is a great catcher. He he's already knows how to call a game. And I think if he if you can get him some reps catching a knuckleball, I think consistently he might be your choice going forward if the Sox decide to give Stephen Wright a choice, a chance to try to crack the rotation. Now, I guarantee you Stephen Wright will probably be at Fort, in Fort Myers at JetBlue Park, Fenway South, come spring training. He will, he will be there. He'll get his chance. He's 30 years old. Doesn't have, I mean, granted, most knuckleballers find success, can pitch till they're 40 because their arms don't die out as quickly. You're not going to see Ruby De La Rosa pitch till he's 40. His arm's going to be dead before that. Stephen Wright can pitch till he's 40, 42. He might be the next Jamie Moyer, for all we know, in terms of how long he's going to pitch. Yeah. This could be the start of something for the Red Sox for the next 10 years. I'd like to see it plan out. I'd like to see him get his chance, and I think he, if he does get his chance, I think 
he will definitely crack the rotation. Yeah, he he might crack the rotation, but I just want to touch on Vasquez a little bit. And, you know, something that really made Vasquez special coming up is his, his measured time throwing to second base at a 1.77, which was by far better than any Red Sox catching prospect they'd ever have. And, you know, something just catching him with Stephen Wright, I think that takes away a little bit of his ability to gun people out at second. So I'd be a little wary on, on you know, grooming him to catch the knuckleball, I think. I honestly think if he cannot find the bat, I would still keep him around the team, but I he's definitely a guy who the Sox could end up trading if, if he just has no spot in the lineup. So um, definitely Stephen Wright could definitely uh, crack the rotation. He'd be a nice 4 or 5 option uh, after the flamethrowers at the top of the rotation, and you know, like we've been saying, if we can find the catcher, that that could be a big, big, big addition to the rotation. Of course, catcher is the biggest deal when it comes to catching a knuckleball. We're gonna, I'll stress all that every time I talk about it. The thing about Vasquez, and I, I do agree with you, Nate, with this part, is that I think if even if he doesn't find his bat or he becomes a 250 career hitter behind the plate, if the Red Sox want to trade him and really are to, dedicated to Swihart, then some team will take him because his game management is phenomenal already, in my opinion. And, again, he's been compared to the Molinos brothers. So I think I, – I know comparing players to players isn't really fair to the player, but I honestly think that it's a kind of a fair comparison is from his point – his career now and the Molinos' career where they were at this point. I think he got a great game. He calls a great game. Defensively, he can get he can move behind the plate. He's great. He he does have an arm. He throws guys out well. He takes chances behind the plate, throwing behind guys at first and third. And a lot of teams will take that. A lot of teams want that kind of catcher. And I, I want that kind of catcher. And if he can fix his bat, I want him as the long term catcher. But if he doesn't fix his bat, I still believe that the Red Sox can get something for him in the long term. And I think that Vasquez should stay if he can figure it out. And I think. That if he does figure out the bat, great. Let's groom him, catch the knuckleball, give Wright his chance. All is well that ends well. Now, if he doesn't handle the bat as well and can't fix it, then maybe you go out and find someone who has a history of catching a knuckleball. Maybe we go get Doug Marabelli out of retirement. I don't know. But you've got to find somebody to do it because I really think this guy's the real deal in Steven Wright. I really think that he deserves his chance. I really do think the way I've, what I've seen of him, the, the times he's gotten his chances here in September with the big club, Throughout AAA, I think in Pawtucket, I think that he deserves a chance. I think he'll be able to move forward and definitely crack a rotation next year, given the right circumstances for the Sox. Now, I will transition to this next. I couldn't decide what I wanted to do, but I, made, I just made my decision. I want to give you guys a quick update. Rusny Castillo, obviously, acquired from... I'll say, it was Cuba, but Dominican technically, it's where he was living. Escaped to Cuba, we all know the deal. He's been playing down the minors, went to double-A, was with the Paw Sox. Now, I don't know if, if you guys saw this, so I'll give you a little quick recap. Paw Sox won the Governor's Cup. It's great. They won two second time in the last three years. Castillo had a big play in that. Game four of the Governor's Cup against Durham. Bottom of the, bottom of the eighth, no, bottom of the ninth, right? Bottom of the ninth. He came in. Had two outs. Rosny Castillo comes to the plate. Game-tying single with two outs. 
hit the ball clean. I don't know if you saw the tape on that, Nate, but he hit it clean, cracked it back up the middle. RBI single, ties the game. Eventually, Apostox go to the 11th or 12th inning. I don't remember exactly. Walk-off home run for the Apostox, not Castillo, but walk-off home run for the Apostox. They force a game five. They win game five. Castillo kept them in that and helped them get to a game five. I liked what I saw from Castillo with that at bat. I think he has it. Yeah, he definitely does have it. I'm going to go to say that. I like that at bat. It was a nice, clean swing. He took a tough pitch and went with it. And, you know, that's important. That's what you look for for a young guy. Can he go with the pitch? Can he turn on the pitch? Can he hit it to opposite field? And uh, what I've watched of him, he can do it all. And he looks like he's going to be a hell of a center fielder. I think he's going to be a great, 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 great center fielder. He's going to be basically he's Jacoby Ellsbury on steroids, whether he's whether he's on steroids or not. He is a jacked-up version of Jacoby Ellsbury. Minus the injuries, we hope. Minus the injuries. <laughs> it, seems like this, it seems like this guy's pretty durable for now. Jacoby, obviously, we know of his history crap that, with injuries that he dealt with here. But Quick update on this. Castillo hit 297 while in the, between AA and AAA. Six runs, four RBIs. Five walks, only seven strikeouts, and he had two stolen bases. Two stolen bases stands out to me. Not that many games down in the minors for him in the last couple of weeks. I'll take two stolen bases for a guy who might not be completely in game shape. I expect him to be a stolen base hound next year. I expect him to go at it. Every chance he gets, I expect him to eventually be the kind of guy the Red Sox just give a green light to whenever he has a chance to steal once he proves himself of that. Now, for me, four RBIs is big. Five walks is big, which means he's patient. Big news, though, Castillo being called up, I'll say tomorrow, for the sense of that we're recording it right now, 9-16, Tuesday, September 16th, Rusny Castillo is being supposedly being, reportedly being called up to the big club. A couple weeks left in the season, Nate. How much of Castillo are we going to see? Are we going to see him every day? Is he going to start being there every day in center field? Are we still going to see some platooning between Betts, Bradley, and Castillo? What's going to happen with him once he gets here? I think you've got to do some platooning because uh, I think if he if he struggles when he comes up, which which young guys tend to struggle, they're not. I hope they're not going to keep him in the lineup and just beat him down. I mean, we've seen that with multiple pitchers. I mean, Daniel Bard, <laughs> Daniel Bard struggled, and the Sox kept going and going with him. So. I think we will see a platoon of him. I think we'll see him uh, probably three or four times a week. Um, and we're going to see a lot of him. We're going to see a lot of him in the outfield. We're gonna, he's, we, we look for him to have as many at-bats as he can get. And uh, they're really going to try to evaluate him. Obviously, it's not going to show what we have going into next year because we hope he works during the spring, during the offseason to improve his swing. But... Um, yeah, we're gonna see a heavy dose of Castillo. I hope we do. I hope I hope that we see so much of him that I could potentially get sick of him because I want to see this kid play in the next two weeks. I think this kid is gonna be amazing. I think you definitely didn't overpay for him. I think it's gonna definitely hinge on how much John Farrell wants to see still see Jackie Bradley. I think it's the big one for me. Because you, you sent him back down there already once to Pawtucket. Obviously, you can't now. But you sent him down to Pawtucket already once. The, well, how much does this team still have confidence in him? I know he's been playing, but now with Castillo joining the team, how much... If I was John Farrell, I would say, okay, Jackie Bradley, you had your chance. I'm pushing to the side. I'll get you a game or two. 
we got to see this Castillo kid play. I think for me, Jackie Bradley Jr. might lose the minutes in this platoon. Yeah, I mean, look at you. You said it. Where is Jackie Bradley going to play? I mean, if Castillo's in and Castillo's hitting, you can't take that out of the lineup. We're going to have Cespedes in the lineup. And the other outfield spot, we're either going to have Craig or Victorino. I mean, if Bradley's not hitting and we're going to have Vasquez in the lineup, who's not hitting either, I mean, it's just hard to decipher where Jackie Bradley's going to play. I mean... You can't, like I had mentioned last week, you can't have two shore outs in, in a lineup. And um, if he can't figure out a swing, and I even think if he does figure out a swing, he's going to be he's gonna be shipped out of town. I mean, I think a team will take a flyer on him just solely because of his glove and solely because they've seen him in Pawtucket, and he can hit, but he's just not showing it at a major league level. I think Jackie Bradley's going to be qualified and seen as one of those tweener players. I, I think he's a tweener. All the way. I don't think he's, I don't think his bats ever really got to translate up here. I mean, you, you see the glimpses of what he did in Pawtucket up here, but he look, he got called up and he got his center field now because he hit the crap out of the ball in Pawtucket. He can hit in Pawtucket, but he can't hit here. But if you gave him like a 4A type talent to hit against, he's probably still going to hit consistently with them too. Against them too. Jackie Bradley is I am like 95% putting my stamp on it, saying he's out of here. He's not going to be here, especially with Castillo coming in. And look, they've had no urge to move him around from center field. That's a big thing for me. Castillo's a center fielder. Jackie Bradley Jr. doesn't play anywhere else. He does not play right field. He does not play left field. He can't play left field here anyway with Cespedes. And if they really want Alan Craig to play, he can't play right field with Alan Craig. And then you have Nava and Victorino. Shane Victorino's still here too, folks. Don't forget about the flying Hawaiian. He's still here too. There's no room for Jackie Bradley Jr. because you brought Castillo in basically saying, that's our guy, Jackie Bradley, I'm sorry, but you're done. That's it. And I think in September, I'd be surprised if he gets more than a game a week for the rest of the season. Jackie Bradley, to me, is the guy they took him a chance on letting Ellsbury go, and they messed up. But now they made up for it by paying for Castillo. Yep, I agree. I agree 100%. I mean, if the bat doesn't come around, which it doesn't look like it's going to, I don't see a spot on this team for him. What's amazing to me is I was reading an article, I believe, yeah, it was MassLive.com, and the list, I have the list in front of me now, and literally all the people on the Red Sox roster have been Jackie Bradley, Betts, Dan Butler, Brock Holt, Middlebrooks, Rivero, Christian Vasquez, Matt Barnes, Drake Britton, Ruby De La Rosa, Tommy Lane, Ronaldo, Webster, Wilson, Workman and Stephen Wright. That's like the entire Paw Sox lineup from this year. That's like their entire roster. And they still won the, the, the Cup 4-1 against the Bulls. That, to me, is my proof of how deep this farm system is and that how I don't mind trading away, obviously, Jackie Bradley, but some of these guys, say even a Christian Vasquez, because you have Dan Butler and Swihart. I don't mind trading some of these guys because look how much room you got behind them. You've, you have a consistent Pawtucket team winning, again, winning the Governor's Cup, the two out of the last three seasons they've played. And you have the entire, almost the entire system from this whole summer on the Red Sox roster on Saturday against Kansas City, and the Pawtucket still won the Governor's Cup. Yes, it's, uh, it's very impressive. Uh, 
they got a lot of talent on there in Pawtucket. You look at the outfield, they got Brents, Corey Brown, a big power hitter, uh, Hassan, Cascini, McCoy, we mentioned earlier, Castillo. Um, the infield's great, too. They got uh, DeJesus, Gibson, Henry, uh, Devin Marrero, who should be the real deal at short. They got power hitting Travis Shaw at first base. The catching's strong with Swihart and Levinway. And, I mean, the pitching's even stronger. They got guys like Escobar, uh, Chris Hernandez, who's having a good year. Henry Owens, Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, they have a very good team, and uh, they just do a hell of a job down in there. Tuck it. Nah, I don't want to take anything away from Kevin Bowles, but down there, he's done a hell of a job as the manager of that team. Uh, plugging people in left and right, not knowing who he's going to have on a daily basis. He's done a great job as the manager of that team. Have to agree with that. Can't say that any better. He has guys coming in and out. Obviously, being a AAA manager has a big effect on you because you don't get the consistency of a major league roster. You have guys in and out. You're at the wheel of the major league ball club. You have no say. You, you let players go. You, you feed them the news, the good news if they're coming up. You welcome them back when they get sent back down, and you help them fix on things to get them back up. The goal of AAA is not to win a Governor's Cup. The goal of AAA is to get the guys ready to go win a World Series for the big clubs. And to say that as your goal and still consistently win a Governor's Cup means your coach is doing something right down in AAA, and your scouting team is doing something right, bringing in the right prospects, the right talent. You got you just listed off basically the entire Paw Sox team, besides the guys who were up on the Red Sox on Saturday. You could have flip-flopped them, and I still think half those prospects would have been somewhat successful up here at Fenway, on, or not at Fenway, but in Kansas City when they play on Saturday. They are a consistent level and down in their Pawtucket, I think that the Red Sox, I don't even think I know, that the Red Sox have the best farm system in baseball, hands down. And this is proof of it, winning the Governor's Cup last two out of three years again. And being deep enough that you have a prospect like Jackie Bradley, who for most teams wouldn't give up on him this easily. Most teams would say, let's deal with it. He's a great defender, he'll put seats, he'll put bums in the seats, and he'll get people to come to the games, he's great on defense, and we'll deal with his bat. Red Sox aren't most teams, we're not in most cities, we're in a baseball city, we're in Boston, and look, they, they can afford to give up on Jackie Bradley Jr., I think they're going to, because Castillo is the real deal, and I think we're definitely going to have great things to come from Castillo. I did ask Jared Carabas about Rusny Castillo, we're going to take a quick listen to my interview with him, on the other side, we'll talk some MLB, some playoffs, and I'll give you guys my player of the week, stay tuned. I am joined now by Sox Beat Editor-in-Chief, I believe, Jared Carabas. It's Editor-in-Chief, right? It is Editor-in-Chief. Editor-in-Chief, Sox Base, Jared Carabas. Big Red Sox fan, season ticket holder, as, as his Twitter announces to everybody. Very jealous of that fact. As you should be. I should be. Of course I should be. We all watch Fever Pitch. I'm sure you have that reaction <laughs> when you get your tickets every season. Some, something like that. Something like yeah. that, you know. Um, before we start the interview, if you want to plug yourself, if people don't know who you are, what you do, so if you want to talk about Sox Base, it's all yours. Um, honestly, I haven't really been writing that much lately because um, I've been a busy guy. I've been interning over at uh, WEI. I've been doing the post-game show with Mike Mitnansky, Um and I've been doing a little bit of blogging here and there on SoxBaseBoston.com, and I'm actually uh, 
tomorrow morning at 6.45. I'm waking up early and going to Pittsburgh to see the Red Sox in Pittsburgh so I can see the beginning of the Rusne Castillo era. Very exciting. Very exciting stuff. So clearly you're inversed in the Red Sox, no matter how bad they are. Yeah, um, I mean, I, th- I think that it's it's kind of more interesting. I don't want to say it's more interesting, but I still think that um, when you're on either end of the spectrum, it's still interesting. I think when it's in the middle is kind of when it's boring. Uh, you know, when they're, for example, 2010, when they were – they were good, but they weren't good enough. They didn't make the playoffs, but they still won, I think, almost 90 games. I think they won like 89 yep. games that year. Mm-hmm. Um, that year I kind of found boring. I think that that year got lost in the shuffle. But a year like this where they're completely terrible, um, you get to see a lot of guys who you probably wouldn't have seen had they been in it, obviously. So, um, yeah, I think that it's a unique uh, dynamic when you can be – uh, completely terrible, and the season is still worth watching for that reason. You brought up you're going to Pittsburgh. Rusnay Castillo is being called up. Let's start there because I wanted to ask you about him. Generally, what what are your thoughts on him? How far do you think he can go with this team? Um, I mean, I've actually been I bought the uh, the minor league baseball TV account when Henry Owens got promoted, so. I've actually been watching uh, Castillo since he got called up to Pawtucket uh, in those five games or whatever it was in the playoffs. Um, I mean, it, it's, I think that it's pretty incredible that, you know, he took off over a year and he was able to jump right back in and uh, almost not miss a beat. I think he hit like 280 in that series. I mean, it's not fantastic for a five-game series, but – um, you know, he had two doubles in the uh, series finale that the Paw Sox won. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his bat speed looked pretty good. I think that um, his his eye at the plate was pretty good, too. Uh, I, I tweeted a few nights ago. Um, he actually was laying off some pretty close two-strike pitches. I mean, I saw him go to full counts a couple times, and there were some borderline pitches that he was laying off a ball for. Uh, that most major league hitters would at least attempt to, you know, protect the plate and foul it off. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, his, his eye is pretty good at the plate. Uh, his speed, from what I saw, is as advertised. Um, I, I don't think that uh, he's going to be – I don't know. I haven't seen the power yet um, that people keep talking about in all these scouting reports because everyone talks about how muscular he is and things like that. Uh, I haven't – seen the power from him yet but I'm sure it'll come um that obviously comes with you know making contact and putting the uh, ball in play so um I think it's a little early to say that he's not going to be a power hitter but just saying I haven't seen it yet with Castillo now obviously the Paw Sox won the Governor's Cup and that shows a lot to the Red Sox depth in their farm system especially for winning two out of the last three years but there was one bad particular game four and Castillo came up to the plate had a game tying single and I have to admit, for a kid who hasn't played in a year, him coming up in a, that pressure of a situation and tying the game up. Now, I get it's only the Governor's Cup, but for him, it's still baseball. How much can we take? How much can Red Sox fans take stock in his clutch hitting then? And do you think that'll translate to the big leagues? Uh, I wouldn't put too much stock in it because, I mean, for him, this is, you know, this is spring training for him. He's just trying yep. to. Um, you know, get his his ways back at the plate. Um, obviously, you know, it's the environment. It, it definitely plays into it. I mean, you know, these are crowds of you know ten to twelve thousand, which is a 
standard game at the Trop. Um, but I think that, you know, I wouldn't say it's clutch, but I think that it's good that he can perform um, in situations where he knows that his teammates are depending on him because he's coming yeah. into a situation in that championship series where most of these guys have been on the Paw Sox the whole year, and, you know, they, it does mean something to these guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put too much stock into it, but it, it's worth something, I suppose. Okay. Now, before we move on from him, I want to know, what do you think? Obviously, we have a small sample size, and most of us haven't seen him play as much as you have just because you bought the package. But just from seeing scouting ports and seeing him play so far, what do, what do you think this guy's ceiling is if he has one in terms of how, even how you compare him to Jacoby Ellsbury if you want to make it easier in that sense? Because I've heard a lot of fans trying to compare him to Jacoby and people saying, oh, he's better than Jacoby already. And, like, we don't know that. So what are your thoughts on where he could end up, depending on what the scouting reports are? Um, I think that's an interesting question just because, you know, we've seen, um, we've seen enough, I mean, speed, that, that skill is something that we can see in one game and be able to assess that skill. Um, we, you know, you can see how fast the guy is in, in one game. Um, but I think that it remains to be seen what kind of hitter he's going to be. Um, especially since he he hasn't faced major league pitching. Obviously, that's a huge jump to go from AAA to the big leagues. Um, you know, you can ask um, Alexander Bogarts that question. Uh, it's obviously a big <laughs> jump when you go from seeing AAA sliders to major league sliders. Uh, so, I mean, I really, as far as ceiling goes, I, I really can't, you know, answer that question until I see him face some major league pitching and really get a good look at his approach at the plate. And above all, um, he could come up for, you know, the rest of September and set the world on fire. Um, but next year, you know, that pitchers are going to be making adjustments to him. So it's going to be all about how he adjusts to the pitchers adjustments to him in the first place. So I think that we have, you know, at least a month or two of watching him before we can really know what we have in him. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's hard, it is hard to put a ceiling. I, want, I was curious to see how you'd answer that because I, I, it's a tough question. I ask a lot of people I talk to, and they, they have they have probably have more trouble than you just did answering that. So <laughs> I, pl- I applaud you for that. Uh, um, so I want to I want to ask you a question now. With Xander Bogarts, obviously his season's been up and down, and he's hitting great as of late. I'm pretty sure it's like hot, mid 350 at least in the month of September. Now I've had a lot of people ask me about this, and I've talked about it with my co-host as well, and I want to ask your question, get your opinion on it, whether you think Xander Bogarts is just hitting better because there's less pressure and the pressure has something to do with it, or is he really figuring out his game? Um, that's an interesting question because it wasn't so much that he wasn't hitting well. Like I said, this goes back to the same point that I was making before about making adjustments. Um, he was hitting fastballs and change-ups very well. Um, but from May up until the end of his you know, three-month slide, it was curveballs and sliders that he wasn't hitting, and that's pretty much he was getting a steady diet of that. So that was the adjustment that pitchers were making to Bogarts because they, you know, they knew that he was hitting fastballs and change-ups. So, I mean, I actually – I can pull those numbers up right now. Um, But, yeah, that's something that, like I said, if he's making adjustments, then he's going to be just fine because he's a very talented hitter. And, you know, I think that he got exposed there for a little bit. And the other thing about Bogarts that a lot of people don't seem to 
recognize is that he's only 21 and he's turning uh 22 next month um but yeah that's the thing about him is that most 21 year old players are still at double a or just getting promoted to triple a right now so you know the talent is obviously there with bogarts but you know it's it's how he makes those adjustments and for him it's obviously the breaking stuff and those sliders that i was talking those major league sliders are not easy to hit so no do you think now I think the Red Sox will keep him at short, but do you think that they still believe in their statement that they made previous in the earlier in the year that they stated that they think that Bogarts is a third baseman? Do you think that they keep him at short, or do you think they make the mistake and move him back to third? Uh, I absolutely think that they're going to keep him at shortstop. I think that they see him as a shortstop. I think that they want him to succeed at shortstop, and I think that they know that they made a mistake in moving him to third base. Um, I believe it was Chad Finn who kind of, he's from the Boston Globe, who debunked the whole rumor or notion that moving him to third base was the reason why um, he started his slide in the first place. And it really wasn't. And then it it further proved itself when they moved him back to short and he was still struggling for a few weeks after that. Um, But yeah, I think that long-term they view him as a shortstop. Um, but like I said, you know, they, they really don't have a solution at third base right now either. So it could be that they, I don't know, could they sign Hanley Ramirez, put him at shortstop and move Bogarts back to third, which I think would be a terrible idea. Or do they, yep. uh, hope that, uh, Garen Cicchini or Holt or Middlebrooks figures it out at third base so that they can keep Bogarts at short or do they sign Pablo Sandoval and put him at third? Um, they definitely have to do something. Uh, on that left side of the infield because Bogarts, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think that he exposed himself as being somewhat mentally fragile um, because I think that he was greatly impacted by um, being moved to third. I think that it definitely was a factor. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's a, if you're going to be a professional, you have to be, you know, ready for whatever the organization asks you to do. Um, but, yeah, yeah that, that left side of the infield is – uh, quite the issue right now. And I actually just looked it up right now. And in the month of September, Bogarts is hitting uh, 400 with a 964 OPS against sliders this month. Yep, that, may, that makes sense. Yeah, so well, there you go. That, yeah, that's the adjustment that he's yep. he's made. Of course, we're joined right now by Jerry Carabas of Soxbase, current intern WEI as well. And we just learned um, one more topic I want to hit on before I let you go, Jared is. Um, more of an interesting one. I, I personally hope it succeeds. Now, it's the knuckleball, the knuckleballer Stephen Wright. Not really a young guy. He's 30. But I know I, – I feel like you're a Tim Wakefield fan. I feel like you, you enjoyed Tim Wakefield when he was there, <laughs> assuming, right? I mean, Tim Wakefield was a guy that, you know, I loved having him around. But, I mean, you know, it, after 2003, that decade, almost a, nearly a decade where he hung around was just like – you don't have any confidence in him going out to the mound. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, great, great guy was amazing in the community. Great teammate, loved the Red Sox. It meant the world to him to, to say that he was a part of the Red Sox organization. And that was just, you know, uh, a breath of fresh air. Um, But I mean, Tim Wakefield is just like, I don't know. I I just, you you never have any confidence when he goes out to the mound unless it was that that year where he should have been the ALCS MVP in 2003, which I'm still pissed about. (laughs) Aren't we all? With that being said, 
do you think Stephen Wright, the the knuckleballer who is has pitched a couple games now up here at the big leagues in September, do you think or do you even want him to have a chance to possibly crack the rotation next year? Um, I mean, at this point right now, there's so many middle of the pack arms that they have. Um, where there's no standout. So it's not like if they were to put him in the rotation next year, uh, who who is he blocking? I mean, there's so many different guys that uh, they're kind of just fringe arms right now. And, it, you know, you could list off even guys that are in their rotation right now. Like, they have to make decisions on who's going to be in the rotation, who's going to be in the bullpen. I mean, they've been using um, – Anthony Renato in the rotation. They've been using Workman in the rotation, and they've been using De La Rosa in the rotation. I think Brian McPherson of the Providence Journal is the one who wrote this, and he was the one who said a lot of these guys could end up in the bullpen. I mean, like they just don't know what they're going to be doing long-term with a lot of these guys. Um, so, I mean, really the only ones – I mean, even Matt Barnes, like look at him. Like they, He's out of the bullpen right now, so he was a first-round draft pick a few years ago. Uh, as a starting pitcher. So you really don't know uh, who's going to emerge and be in the starting rotation long-term for in the uh, Red Sox system right now. I mean, the only shoe in assuming that he's not moved for something later on would be Henry Owens. Um, I really can't see them ever experimenting with Owens in the bullpen unless he's just a I hope not. Yeah, that would be uh, quite the disappointment if that's what happened with the Owens era. Um, but yeah, I think Wright kind of fits in it, with that pack of guys where it's like, yeah, I mean, they were good minor league starting pitchers, but once they get here, what do we do with them? I don't know. Um, and just the the whole dynamic of the knuckleball pitcher, I mean, we, we saw it with Wakefield with needing special catchers and, um, yep. you know, with this being a market where, um, you know, this is expected to win every single year can you really have a guy that's um i i hated the idea of having a binky catcher i i didn't like that with marabelli and whoever else caught wakefield exclusively i didn't like that i liked having you know the idea of having a backup catcher to you know give the starting catcher a day off when he actually needs it not when so-and-so is pitching um so yeah i don't know that's that's just my thoughts on the uh knuckleball pitcher because I, I don't know i mean if if he's good he's good i mean you have to go with you know who's going to win you ball games who's going to win you the yep. most ball games um but yeah I, I just thought that the wakefield era was was a headache in that regard that i i just hate personal catchers i hate personal catchers the bullpen is only so big right is where the way i look at it. you can only have so many guys in the stupid bullpen right. and i hated i hated the fact that <laughs> David Ross was a personal catcher for John Lester. I mean, it was just a thing about, yep. you know, if you're going to command 20 to $25 million in the offseason, you can't bring David Ross with you. That's why I just hated the idea of personal catches. It's like, if you're good, then you're good. You don't need a guy behind the plate. You just, it is what it is. You got to deal with what you got. Um, what gets me with that yeah, is, too, I don't know. what gets me with that is that Lester's still pitching good out in Oakland, yet he doesn't have David Ross. So why exactly. couldn't he pitch anyone else here? He's the American League. He's the American League player of the player of the week right now. Yep, it's definitely intriguing. Maybe it was AJ Przinsky. Who knows? Maybe it was because we can it probably we can blame was. AJ so let's be honest. Everything. It probably it was. was. We can blame AJ for most things, if not everything. And Bobby Valentine too. 
Oh, we don't want to get there. No, we don't need to talk no, about we him. Don't. We no. Don't. No. He, he who shall not be named. Yeah, exactly. There, that's the way to play. Yes. Either way, Jared, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it, as always, here on Red Sox Beat. Hopefully, we can eventually have you on again. Who knows? Hopefully, this becomes a recurring thing. Either way, good luck at your adventures at WEI and all that stuff. Good luck with Sox Beat for whatever, uh, with Sox Space. <laughs> I, that's repeating myself. Good luck with Sox Space <laughs> for whatever you're doing with it. And hopefully, we'll keep in touch. Until then, thank you again, Jared. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, and I look forward to coming back. All right, we are back. Again, that was Jared Carabas from Sox Space. I want to thank, thank him for taking the time out of his busy day and busy life to come on and talk to me. Did my best to get him on during the recording. We're all a busy lives. Couldn't do much about it. We still got to talk to him. Got some good insight, of course, on the Ruzni Castillo and the situation and, and the Bogarts. And I liked his opinion on Bogarts. I think well, he's spot on with that. Again, he's the editor-in-chief of Sockspace. You can follow Sockspace on Twitter, at Sockspace. You can find Jared Carabas on Twitter. I believe it's Jared underscore Carabas. Great Red Sox follow. He really gets it. He's a, he's a big favorite of the David Ortiz picture holding the giant, giant champagne bottle from winning last year in the locker room. He uses that j- picture just about every time the Red Sox win or do something good. That picture gets tweeted out. I love it. He, this guy's a great Red Sox. He's a fan and... He can be objective at the same time. He knows what he's doing. Good. Thank you for him again for coming on. Hopefully, maybe we'll have have him on again down the road. Who knows? But again, thanks, Jerry. We appreciate it. Now, I want to catch quickly. I want to talk. I want to kind of shift gears. We might have a couple of quick Red Sox thought before we get out of here for the week, and you guys can get back onto your hectic and busy lives. Maybe you're listening on the way to work, on the way home from work. Who knows? We appreciate it. Big thing for me. I want to talk about. MLB in a general scale, general sense. Red Sox doing what they can to play. Spoiler, there's still, again, there's still baseball going on. There's still great, great teams out there fighting for a World Series. Now, Nate, I want to stay in the AL East for a second. I want to talk about these Baltimore Orioles. Now, in the last, what, five, maybe, I can go back to ten years. The Orioles haven't been that great. They've had a few good years here and there. But even when the Orioles are good, you say Baltimore, you say Baltimore Orioles to people, and they still laugh. Now, I think there's no reason to laugh anymore. And I'll get to this. I want to get to Chris Davis in a second. But these Orioles are for the real deal. And I think they can make a decent push to uh, do the playoffs here. I would not have them making a decent push. Uh, one of the reasons being is I don't know how the pitching is going to uh, translate into postseason play. you got guys like... Um, Wei-Yin Chen, Chris Tillman, Zach Britton at the end of the bullpen. I'd like to see them in postseason play, and also the lineup. Uh, Chris Davis' loss was a big blow. Uh, he's going to be out for eight games in the postseason. Uh, Machado now gone. Weeders, one of the best catches in baseball, gone. I just think it's going to be tough. You know, if they were healthy, I'd give them a great shot. But um, unfortunately, they're not. And unfortunately, I, I don't have them going too far. I think Chris Davis is less of an impactful thing as people think. I think Chris Davis obviously is a great player. He had a great year last year. He still had a great year this year. But being suspended for 25 games obviously includes a few games in the playoffs as well. I think Chris Davis isn't a big deal if the Orioles were healthy, like you said. But without Machado, I think Machado's the key one here for the Orioles. Now, I still think that they can do a decent push. I still think that, but it's also tough 
because they're going to have to play get through the Angels, who are the best team in baseball right now. They're the hottest team in baseball, even if you want to say it that way. Hottest team, or best team, whatever. Or Angels are playing well. Oakland's been struggling. Obviously, I think the Red Sox. I believe the Red Sox have a better record than Oakland since they traded for John Lester. Detroit Tigers are in and out. Royals are there. Seattle Mariners potentially can still get in. Yankees, I don't think are going to get in. I think the Orioles' best chance, best chance to win a playoff series is if they matched up against Oakland. And I think that can happen. That can happen. But Oakland would have to obviously be a wild card team. It all have to play out right. But I think Orioles' best chance for being successful at least in one round of the playoffs, Nate, is playing Oakland. I would say playing the Angels, and here's why. I mean, you look at the Angels' rotation. You got Weaver. He can beat you on any given night. But then you scroll down from Weaver, no Garrett Richards, and then you get a guy like C.J. Wilson. Well, C.J. Wilson's on and off. I think Baltimore could really take advantage of that. And, I mean, if they can beat Weaver out of the gate, I, I just I have a hard time really coming to a conclusion of how if they can beat Weaver out of the gate, they can't beat a guy like Wilson. And they can have L.A. into a, in a 2-0 hole, and I just – in Baltimore's back end of the bullpen is just so good. I I would just have them over the Angels. I think Oakland would be a tough matchup with a Sonny Gray and a John Lester. I think I think they would have their way with the uh, the Oakland uh, excuse me the Baltimore Orioles lineup. I just think those two guys at the top of the rotation would uh would deal quite well with that uh, young Baltimore Orioles team. You know what? This is why I disagree with you. Only because. The A's don't have any offense. They cannot hit the stupid baseball because they lost Cespedes. They lost their timely hitting. Now, Red Sox this year had a decent rotation, so they trade everybody away. They couldn't put the runs on the board. They're losing. A's have been terrible. They have a losing record, a decently awful losing record since they traded away their offense into Cespedes. Yes, they have Lester. I get it. Yes, they have Samarja. I get it. But they cannot hit the ball. And I think the Orioles fare better with them because it, it bolsters their weaker pitching a little bit. It gives them the chance to face the Johnny Gomeses of the world, the Sam Folds of the world, where they can't hit the baseball. So if you can get the Orioles into a series like that, look, I think Tillman can cruise through an A's lineup. Because there's no one there. Well, Baltimore is, uh, I know this is a slim amount of games, but they are 4-2 and two in their last uh couple series against the Angels, and I mean, they have pitched pretty well. They've held, held Trout down pretty well. I mean, they've pitched good uh, along the top of that order with uh, guys like Kendrick. Um, they've held down Pujols. I mean, they've done a good job of pitching around that Angels lineup. Uh, Hamilton's not the threat he used to be. I mean, if you can really get around Trout, that that rest of the lineup, you don't really know what you're going to get with it. it you're hoping Pujols is hot. You're hoping Hamilton's hot. But you, you really don't know what Howie Kendrick's going to do. You don't, like I said, you don't know what Pujols is going to do. I just think that uh, that Baltimore could pitch around that team and get by him. For me, if I was an Orioles fan, I would still want Oakland because I would be scared of the Angels. I would be scared of having Pujols, a guy who has had his slumps as of late, obviously, since he's been, he was he left St. Louis, but he has that, he ha, he's won World Series, he has the playoff experience, and I expect him to go off in this, this postseason, I expect Mike Trout to be Mike Trout, 
I expect Howie Kendrick to be, have a good playoffs. Obviously, there's nothing to really back that up except for the fact that the way they're playing right now. And you could obviously pull the case on me where are the Angels peaking at the wrong time? We, we hear that in every other stupid sport that everyone talks about saying, peaking at the wrong time. They're playing good baseball right now. I think the Angels are currently going to, I think they're going to come close to the ALCS. I think if they keep playing like this, they're going to the World Series. Because I don't think they can, I think Oakland doesn't have a chance against the Angels. The way Oakland's been hitting, I don't think Oakland has a chance against anybody the way they've been hitting. Offense, you need to score runs to win, and you can't rely on pitching duels every game to win you a seven-game series, whatever. It just doesn't happen. Oakland needs to figure out they're hitting soon, or they're they're going down. I think Orioles' best chance is against Oakland. Oakland, I think Billy Bean messed up. I love it for the Red Sox. Billy Bean messed up. They didn't need Lester. They gave up Cespedes. I, it, we're, I'd be singing a, you know, a whole different tune here, Nate, if Oakland didn't trade away Cespedes and and just kept it the way it was going. Well, Jared. I'd be singing, uh, yeah. Besides Mike Trout uh, and Pools, who would you say in the the Angels lineup uh, would you fear? I honestly would fear, I, I fear Howie Kendrick a little bit. I do. And I think, the re- for me, it's, yeah, he, he might be struggling as of late, or he might just not be hitting consistently, but I think he can be that guy who comes up when you have that, when you say you get Pujols on and you get Trout on and he comes up, and I think he, he will be that guy who chimes in for you and is that key, key hitter. Plus, I do like their pitching. I really do. I do like Jared Weaver. I do like C.J. Wilson still. I think they have a good all-around team, and I think they can go pretty far. I, do str- I still trust David Freeze. But I think I think Howie Kendrick can be that guy. Backside of the lineup, Pools gets on, Trout gets on later on when they start leading off the innings. And I think Howie Kendrick will come through for for the Angels in the playoffs. That's his uh, 196 career postseason batting average. Worry you a little bit that maybe oh, it does. It does. I I, I mean it has to. You hit, you hit 196 in the playoffs. You can't expect the guy to do much, but I do because. He obviously is a streaky player, but you also have to realize this guy's a 292 hitter this season. That's a pretty good average. Basically, I'm pretty much hitting 300 on the season for a guy who's not a top of the lineup guy. That's and he's good defensively. I think Howie Kendrick is the X factor for the Angels, in my opinion. And if he can consistently bring his play to the postseason, the Angels are going to be there come the ALCS, and then after that, who knows? Because you might catch another team who might be hot, but I think I'd be too afraid of them going in as with as, if I was the Orioles, especially in the first couple games without Chris Davis, with a bat of Chris Davis. I think I would if I was the Orioles, I'd try to I'd want to take the chance with the weaker lineup of the A's, knowing that my pitching isn't the greatest thing in the world, and go at it that way. Yeah, I mean we'll agree to disagree. I just. I just like the A's experience with guys like Gomes and Lester. I mean, they've done it in the postseason before, so we'll agree to have different takes on that, but um, it should be interesting to come down the stretch. I do agree. Johnny Gomes, we, we all start. Johnny Hacksaw Gomes last year just let it up when it came to timely hitting, but he's not that guy consistently, and that's what worries me for Oakland, is that they brought him back for that guy, to be that guy in the locker room to be that presence, which he is. He's a fire. He's great. I'd love to meet the guy. I'd love to hang out with the guy for a day. But I don't trust him to be that timely hitter guy 
every single time he steps to the plate because I just don't see him as reliable. Again, Sam Foles there playing defense. He can't hit. I don't. I just don't see where you're going to consistently get timely hitting, whereas last year you had a whole team of vets doing the timely hitting, whether it was Napoli, whether it was Victorino hitting his homers. Then it was Johnny Gomes every once in a while. Plus, then you had Lester locking it down. I think the A's are still missing a few offensive pieces for me to worry about their lineup too much. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, um, but I just think at the end of the day in the postseason, pitching, pitching wins, and uh, I just... I have a tough time pitching against, picking against Oakland's pitching, just looking at them top to bottom. And um, like I said, it should be interesting to watch how it unfolds. It's definitely going to be interesting. I think, I think honestly, the AL is going to be a great race going going into the postseason and going into going into go, try to win a world championship, trying to to knock the Red Sox off their throne, which isn't going to be hard because they can't defend it. <laughs> Sad. Still, still disappointing to me, Nate. Still upsetting. Yep, but sad. baseball is going to be played. Still, Red Sox still have a few weeks left in the season. They got three more series, four more series. Excuse me. They're at Pittsburgh, at, and then at Baltimore, and then homestand finishing off against Tampa, and then the good old last three games of the year, sending Derek Jeter off on his high horse with a couple losses and not making the postseason. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this Pittsburgh series coming up tonight and then the next few days and we can we can talk a little bit about what you expect out of the Baltimore series again too now look they're going to play Pittsburgh next couple days what do you think about Pittsburgh I know obviously we're playing spoiler the wins aren't as important but realistically how do you think they're going to fare up against Pittsburgh these next few games you know it's fun it's fun anytime the yeah, Sox play an NL opponent and uh Pittsburgh I looked down the uh, probables we got Renato and Morton uh pitching tomorrow night and then Buck Holtz and Lariano and Workman and Cole and the factor of it being in Pittsburgh you know I just I like the Pittsburgh team I really do and I'm disappointed that they may not make the playoffs this year I expect to see a lot of the young guys in the Red Sox get some time in and um I mean Renato and Workman those are Two big starts for these guys. I mean, these guys are vying for spots in the rotation next year. And uh, Workman's gonna been a guy who's been on and off. He's struggled in the second time around uh, facing hitters. So look for uh, Renato and Workman to really pitch for a job next year in the rotation. And I'd like to see how Buckholz keeps pitching. He's been pitching excellent as of late, as of his last about nine or ten starts. So it should be an interesting series in Pittsburgh, really interesting. I agree. I think Buckholz is, again, last nine, ten starts. He's figuring it out. He's, he's being that quality two, three starter I want to see out of him next year. No need to be an ace, Clay. No need to be a hero. We don't need that. We'll get somebody else to do that for you. Just crawl into your hole, put some grease on your hair, and pitch every five days, second or third in the rotation, and we'll be good. And he's starting to figure that out. He's starting to understand it again, and I think he's, I think he's starting to get healthy again. I think mentally he's starting to get out of his own head. And I think, honestly, the best thing for him and the reason why he's doing better, Buckholz, is the lack of pressure. I think he's now is he's not trying to figure it out while the Red Sox need him to win every game. I think he's figuring it out when he knows there's no pressure. Now we know he can pitch you under pressure. He had a great season. He's thrown a no hitter here. He knows. He, I think he can handle Boston. I don't think that's the kind of pressure I'm trying to get at. It's the idea that when you're when a guy's down, especially a pitcher, it's hard to fix things when you need to be perfect for a team that's trying to fight for a postseason, fight for a World Series. Now it's 
I'm coming. He's coming off injuries. He's coming off mentality. He's got a no pressure situation the last month of the season to make his last ten starts. He can figure it out. Work with the pitching coaches. Work with John Farrell, who is ultimately obviously was a pitching coach. He gets it and helps him calm things down. I think this his start against the Pirates is huge because you have a team again the Pirates who, despite their lack of possibly getting in the postseason and their lack of production, they still do have all star talent. So I think for for that for Buckholz, it's a good start for coming into the end of the season. He's probably still tired. It's a good start to finish the year off with. He, I think he'll probably have one more after this. But I think the Pirates are a good end-of-the-year start for him because they're, you have a team who potentially still can make the playoffs fighting for something, and it gives, still gives him something to pitch for while fixing it. And I think that you're going to face a decent lineup with from the Pirates enough that it will help Buckholz. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's going to be a huge measuring test for Clay. You've mentioned they do have all-star talent. You know, the fans are going to be there. It's going to should be a wild series in Pittsburgh, and it's uh, it's always fun when the Sox uh, travel in there. So, it makes for an interesting series. It does. I do love when they play the Pirates. Now, Pirates Stadium isn't obviously can, it can be crazy when they're on. I don't know how big the fans will be. It's close. They, they got they got very intense last year during the postseason, so we'll see. McCutcheon's been healthy. Obviously, he's been playing well. It'll be an interesting series there. I'm looking forward mostly to a workman start, I think, like you are. We know what Renato is going to give you probably. Buckholz is Buckholz at this point. Brandon Workman struggled, struggled hard, and he needs to figure it out. He is 1-9 on the season. I won't too much put stock into his record too much, but that's just what his record is. Last start was a rough, rough, rough go-around against Baltimore in that 10-6 to loss. He pitched like a few, I'm pretty sure it was like three innings he pitched if he got out of the third inning. He needs to come back redemption. It's, he, he's missing the Orioles again by a day, which is probably good for him. He probably doesn't want to see the Baltimore Orioles anytime soon until 2015. Good for him to miss that. I think Pittsburgh will be a decent start for him, but I think the bats are going to have to help Workman if he wants to get a win there. Moving on quickly to the end of the week, the weekend series against Baltimore, because we won't be on again until after that. I'm expecting a sweep, but I think a sweep in terms of Baltimore's favor, in Baltimore's favor, but I think the, the game that I'm looking to watch is the Webster start, the first game on Friday, September 19th. I think Webster pitched well in his last start, and I think that pitching, putting two games, two starts in a row together is good for his confidence. Look, like you said, all these young kids, are vying for that spot or vying for their shot in the rotation next year. And I think Webster has a good chance to prove himself against a playoff-bound team in the Baltimore Orioles on Friday. Yeah, Webster does too. And, you know, De La Rosa following that on uh, Saturday, big game on Fox. Uh, De La Rosa is going against Gonzalez. And that's what's great about having all these young pitchers is they're not taking time off. They... This season's kind of completely opposite than what it was at the beginning of the year. Now it's where they got to really bundle down and, you know, show what they've got and make their case to be on the team next year. And that it's very interesting with all these young guys. And I'm excited to watch the Webster, De La Rosa, and even a start from Joe Kelly. He wants that two or three spot next year. And, I mean, the pitching... They're just trying to prove that this pitching rotation is going to be stronger going into next year, as we, uh, we're assuming it's going to be. Completely agree. Next week, obviously, we'll get to the last games of the series. We'll talk about Jeter next week. Real quick before we go, Nate, can you just give me player of the week for the Sox, 
You don't have to go whole majors. Just player of the week for the Red Sox in the last week. Who do you got? In the last week, I would have I'd have to pick Bogus. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. But, I mean, six hits in the last week. He's, his bat's coming around. I mean, this month he's playing terrific ball. He's ironed out his defense from what I've seen. Uh, moving very smoothly right to left, fielding the ground balls, making crisp throws, which he's had a uh, struggle doing before. And, um, you know, he's trying to prove as much as anyone else that he belongs on this team going into next year because we assume they're going to be contenders. And um, he had a very good week. How about you, Jared? I have to agree. Honestly, I don't know how, unless you pick Castillo in the minors, I don't know how you can pick against Sander Bogart. So all the troubles that kid has had going from great player in the World Series last year to start seizing off hot, to struggling, to finally figuring it out. Like I said, this kid has been hitting, just even in the month, he's been hitting over 300 for the month. But in the last series, he was phenomenal, had four RBIs, the home runs. I don't think you can pick against Xander Bogarts. There's no way to do that. I can't disagree with you, Nate, as much as I really want to for good <laughs> radio sense. I cannot go against my baseball morals and pick against this guy. He's hot. Hopefully he continues it for the rest of the season. Unfortunately, we have to shut up now. It's our time to move on for the rest of the week. Before I go, I just want to say again, guys, we, we're on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd really appreciate it if you guys would go on. Search CLNS. You'll find us along with Celtics and Pat's Beat. We would love for you to go on there. Five-star us. Rate us. Review us. Let other people know about also us. Also on Twitter, so can, folks. Also on Twitter, at Red Sox Beat. Everywhere. We're going to have a Facebook page up soon, too, for Red Sox Beat. Please, just go on there, share as much as you can, get it out there. I'm going to put it everywhere I possibly can after we're done. I hope you guys enjoy us. I hope you guys listen to us. We'll be back next week with week three of Red Sox Beat. Yep, third week, a big three. Third third time's the charm, I always say. I can't believe it. It's great. It's flying by already. Playoffs are coming. Derek Jeter's coming back to Fenway for the last time. We'll talk about that next week. We'll get into more depth of the Red Sox and, of course, more playoff talk. Until then... I, my co-host, Nathan Rollins. My name is Jared Scali for CLNSRadio.com. Enjoy the good baseball this week, folks, and have a good one.